0: Chapter 16 is going to bring us to Paul's second missionary journey. You see it up there. Um, As we came to the end of chapter 15, uh, Paul and Barnabas returning to Antioch with Silas and uh, Judas bringing this uh, epistle, this first letter to the church from James and Peter and John and the, the uh, apostles and the elders in Jerusalem, and uh, coming to the Gentiles there in Antioch and telling them it wasn't necessary for them to be circumcised or keep the law of Moses. And the church then uh, rejoicing, obviously, to hear those things. And then Paul wanted to, it seems about six months, it seems that they returned there sometime in the, the early fall of 50 AD and somewhere around in the spring of 51. Paul's saying, let's go visit the churches again. Let's get back and see how they're doing. And as they were planning to leave, of course, him and Barnabas get into a dispute over whether to take John Mark with them. And Barnabas, it's his nephew through his sister. And Barnabas is the son of consolation. He's the kind of guy that could pick somebody up and dust them off and get them back on the road again. And Paul was more intolerant. He was all business to him. The missionary journey was a huge deal. There were lives uh, in probably incalculable involved in it. So Paul was of a different nature. And after a dispute, and again, spiritual men, we don't believe they were fist fighting or cursing at each other, but they got into a heated dispute. And no doubt then Barnabas takes Mark and goes back to Cyprus, where their first missionary journey had begun and where where Barnabas is from. And Paul's going to take Silas and head north overland. Um, Silas, one of the elders of the church in Jerusalem, that held a lot of clout. Uh, he's going to be mentioned as Silvanus as we go on, which tells us that he is a Roman citizen with that Latin name, as Paul himself is. And uh, that will be very beneficial in their journeys as they make these journeys Uh, through the Roman world. So it tells us in chapter 15, it says that Paul, verse 40, chose Silas. He's an elder, he's a prophet, and he departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And we know from down in verse 4, in chapter 16, they're delivering the decrees... To the churches from the church in Jerusalem. So we know he has a copy of this letter with him that was written in Jerusalem. You know, it's probably got James' signature on it and Peter's signature on it and John's signature on it. And uh, Silas himself may have signed it, being one of the elders from the church in Jerusalem, is alongside of Paul saying, this is true. This thing's legit. I was there. We put this together. And uh, going to these Gentile churches... So it says in verse 41, and he went through Syria and Cilicia confirming the churches. So they make their journey from uh, Antioch up to into this area here where it says Tarsus. No doubt they hit Paul's city where he first where Where Barnabas found him, where he grew up, Saul of Tarsus, and you can see this mountain range here, it's called the Cilician Mountains, so they come there first, I'm sorry <laughs> here they are they they come there's Antioch where they started from, and they go north there's they hit Tarsus where Paul is from, and then you see the Cilician mountain range. And we look at that, we don't realize the undertaking. This missionary journey is going to be over 2,800 miles by sea and by land. And it's unimaginable to us to think about that. We complain if we get stuck in traffic coming to church with our radio on and our heater on and a cup of coffee and our phone. You know, uh, these guys are on foot. And just as they come to Tarsus and then head towards uh, Lystra and Derby, they run in... You guys want to put the mountains up there? Okay. This is the shot of the mountains. These are 12,000 feet high. And as they make that journey through, there's a place that's called the Cilician Gates. It was still called that in the last century... And it's one of the narrow paths that cut through. That's why they called a gate through these mountains. And they said in some places, only two men could walk shoulder to shoulder to get through these these tremendous mountains. And there were robbers there. It was an easy place to get ambushed and so forth. I mean, uh, Philip of Macedon, Alexander the Great's father, had gone through there. Alexander the Great went through the Cilician gates. Um, Through the centuries, the the different armies and warriors went through the Cilician gates, and now this army of two, Paul and Silas, are going to go through these Cilician gates, and they're going to conquer Europe. They're going to have a greater conquest than any of the the soldiers and warriors and armies that ever went through those gates before. So put us back. Okay. Okay. So those Cilician gates are right here. You can see that mountain range there. And sometimes we don't think. We look at the, you know, here they are. Here's the arrow, so here's where they went. No, it's not like that. You know, here's these two guys traveling. They're, they carry their, they don't have credit cards. Uh, they don't have a bank account. They can't hold up their iPhones. So they carry their their money with them, which robbers knew. And they're making that journey. Quite possibly as they went through the Cilician gates there were other pilgrims traveling as well because it was safer and the Romans encouraged them to travel in groups. And again there are Roman roads through this whole area. We talked about it last week. There were 500 garrisons placed around the Roman world to guard Roman roads specifically. But if you went 10 foot off the road, you were in the bush. There were bears, there were robbers, they found people half eaten by wolves. It was terrible. So you stayed on those roads. Those roads, again, I should have brought a picture of one, shouldn't I? I have one, I'll bring it sooner or later. Uh, that It's a picture of it today, one of the Roman roads we don't build roads that last two thousand years. Imagine, imagine Bustleton Avenue two thousand years from now. You know, just so still there. You know, just and and so you look at how beat up it looks now, and you realize when these guys were traveling these roads, they looked so good. They were smooth. There were there were actually lights, street lights, at different places for miles. So, uh, Paul and Silas now are going to make. This journey, um, it's going to be uh, over a year. They, they go back and forth about how long it takes them to do this. But they go now through, it says, Syria into Cilicia and confirming the churches. They're showing them this, this letter they have from the elders in Jerusalem and so forth. And it says in chapter sixteen where we've come, then came he to Derby and Lystra, and behold a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman which was Jewish and believed. She's a believer, but his father was a Greek, so they come now into this area of Derby and Lystra. You see it there. Derby and Lystra. This side, uh, Derby and Lystra right there. They come to that area, no doubt visiting the church in Derby, encouraging them to Lystra. And Lystra is where Paul was stoned on the last missionary journey and left for dead, but there's a church there, and certainly the people that stood around saw him. They probably threw him in the trash heap looking at his dead body. He probably was saw him get up and go back into the city, you become a believer when that happens. So we know in this one family, at least, that there is this Timotheus who is a disciple. He's a learner. He's a believer. He has a reputation. And it tells us about his mother who is there as well. When Paul writes 2 Timothy... He he says, When I remember the unfeigned faith that is in thee, Timothy, which dwelt first in thy grandmother, Lois, and in thy mother, Eunice, I am persuaded that in thee also. So evidently in the first missionary journey in this one family, three generations have come to believe in Jesus Christ. The grandmother, the mother, and the son, Timothy. His father's a Greek. He's not a believer. Uh, we're going to see that because Paul's going to circumcise t- Timothy. So there was no uh, you know, rigid Judaism in the household. Um, Actually, Jews were not to marry Gentiles, but in the Diaspora, where they're spread through the Roman Empire, it was more common. And the Talmud, the early writings, the rabbis said that the child was reckoned from the mother. So because uh, Timothy had a Jewish mother, he was considered a Jew. Uh, That's an important part of What we're seeing here, not only was he considered a Jew, Paul is going to write and say to him, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So one of the reasons that Timothy is going to be such an important ally to Paul is that he's known the Holy Scriptures from the time he's been a little kid. You know, dad's a Greek, hey, Mount Olympus, grandma, no, 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 Mount Sinai. You know, dad's a Greek, you know, Hercules, and mom's saying, no, 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 Samson, Samson. you know, just. So from the time he's a kid, it says he knows the Holy Scriptures And then as Paul comes, this great scholar, and they're enlisted the first time, and the miracle takes place, a lame man is healed, this young heart is stirred. And then as he sees Paul get back up again, he's amazed. So Eunice, Lois, and Timothy, they become believers. And Timothy's going to be Paul's co-worker for over 15 years. He's going to be involved with Paul in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth, Ephesus. Paul's going to write two letters to him specifically. He's mentioned in Philemon and remarkably at the end of the book of Hebrews in chapter 13, Timothy is mentioned. Um, Tradition will tell us, the church fathers tell us, that he ended up to be the elder of the church in Ephesus for a number of years. And then he, because he protested, uh, a parade worshiping the idol Diana with all this immorality that he was beaten to death in the street of Ephesus with clubs. He was martyred, uh, but the early church fathers tell us many miracles happened through his hands, Timothy. So here he is. It's so interesting to look at this because you wonder if John Mark hadn't bailed out on the first journey, he may have been Paul's Timothy. But God had a different plan for him. And because he did bail out, he ends up with Peter for a number of years. And because of his time with Peter, he writes the Gospel of Mark, no doubt under Peter's tutelage. And he ends up at the end of Paul's life, again in the end of Second Timothy, he says, bring Mark to me, Luke. He's valuable to me in the ministry. So there was reconciliation. But at this point... He comes to Lystra and tells us, behold, the idea is, think about this. There's a certain disciple there. His name was Timotheus, and he must have told Paul, "Come, please call me Timothy from now on. But, you know, Timotheus, and he's the son of a certain woman, which was Jewish. And he believed, he was a believer, and his father was a Greek, so he's a disciple, he's a believer, his mother's a believer, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. So they know of him, you see Lystra there, and you see Iconium up higher, so his family's known in the area. They probably know his mom, his grandmom. They know Timothy as far as Iconium, and he hasn't doesn't seem that he's left Lystra. He's a disciple. He's well reported of. And him would Paul have to go forth with him. And he took and he circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters. For they knew all of them that his father was a Greek. That They knew that his father's a Greek. This is a marriage that shouldn't have happened. His mother's Jewish. And Paul knew, if I come into these territories, and he liked to go to the synagogues first where they existed, they already know about this kid, Timothy, already Iconium he's got a reputation. And if he's not circumcised, they're going to consider him apostate, the Jews. And they will consider Paul apostate for co-laboring with him as well. The interesting thing is Paul's carrying a letter with Timothy as well that says you don't have to be circumcised to become a believer. So it has nothing to do with him becoming a believer. He's already a believer. Paul is doing this so that they can be accepted among some of these Jewish communities. He will write to the Corinthians and say, For though I be free from all men, yet... Have I made myself servant unto all men, that I might gain the more. Unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law. That I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without, as without law. Being not without the law of God... But, under the law of Christ, that I might gain them who are without law, to the weak, I became as weak, that I may gain the weak. i'm uh, I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means, save some. and this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker thereof with you. So Paul's explanation is, look, I became all things to all men. He understood the culture, he understood the, the place he was traveling, and he knew how important it was, because this was going to be called into question as he went into the synagogue, that Timothy be circumcised. doesn't tell us how excited Timothy was about his theology, but it says Paul took him and circumcised him um, and to take him with him. This is the next generation of the church. Paul's going to write his swan song, Second Timothy, and leave. He says, Timothy, I don't know anybody to leave these things but you. This is a remarkable young man who now joins Paul and Silas in these missionary journeys. So they all knew in these quarters that his father was a Greek, was a Greek. Some try to say that means his dad had passed away. I'm not sure if the language allows that it doesn't matter either way in regards to our study this evening and as they went through the cities notice that plural they went through the cities they delivered them the decrees plural for to keep the 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 letter that came from Jerusalem that they should keep themselves from idols from blood from things strangled and from sexual the sin which is always related to idolatry in that culture, they delivered the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders that were at Jerusalem, Silas being one of them. And it's so interesting, again, Timothy's carrying the letter, he's going with them that said you didn't have to be circumcised, but Paul had a different reason for this with Timothy. And so were the churches established in faith and they increase in number daily. The churches are rejoicing. More and more Gentiles are coming in. This letter from Jerusalem means so much to them. It says, now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden of the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. So here we go back to the map. They go through uh, the area of Phrygia. See it up here? They had, they had come through the... Cilician Gates, Derby, Lystra. Uh, evidently, they came up to Pisidian Antioch again. There's Pisidia. This whole kind of white area is Galatia, and they come up to this area of Phrygia. And it says they were in Galatia. And you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of miles, you know. And as they come to that area of the Galatians, it, it says y- you have to realize the Galatians. We hear of the Celts. Those were the Galatians. They were Celts. They were called Gauls in France. They were called Britons in Britain. They were Saxons in Germany. These were mad tribes. Roman historians said they were lunatics. They would go into battle drunk and naked. And and so everybody's afraid of them. So they caused so much trouble. They sacked Rome at one point in time and then were driven back out again that the Romans made a deal with them and said they would give them the entire plain of Galatia if they would just stay there. So the Galatians settled there, the Gauls, Galatians, they settled there, 22,000 of them at one time. You, You understand? Now when you think in your mind that Paul went to Galatia, think what he's dealing with think how crazy, you know, he's going to write and say, I can't believe you've already gone after another gospel. You know, he—he he, these are people that are barbarians. This is insane. And they prided themselves in it. They're not like the Romans and other cities and the Greeks and other places. They slaughtered Greeks. So the Galatians are famous for their insanity. And they're their violent, and yet somehow they received Paul in his first missionary journey. He came there; his eyes were bad. He writes to them and says, "I bear you witness that you know you treated me like an angel. You'd have done this for me." And, the, and Galatians is short and sweet. He couldn't have wrote the book of Romans to the Galatians, so he boiled it down to those six chapters as he writes to them. But this is a this is a barbaric group of people that he's fallen in love with, that have fallen in love with him somehow. And he comes to that area. It says he goes out throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia. And then they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. So what it tells us here is they wanted to go from this area they were in over to the coast. where You see Pergamon there, but there's Ephesus. There's a, there's a road, a specific Roman road that goes all through this area... And that was considered Asia. You see, Asia Minor. They wanted to travel in that direction. They wanted to go west uh, from here over towards Ephesus. But it says they were re- forbidden of the Spirit to do that. It's just that's remarkable to think they're forbidden by the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. We, you, you you really got to hear the Holy Ghost not to preach the word. Okay. Some people are going to think, hey, well, you know, look, when in doubt, preach the gospel, okay? I mean, this is really specific. So, you know, I would say the general rule is preach the gospel to all men, to every creature. But the remarkable thing here in this missionary endeavor is Paul and Silas and Timothy realize that the Holy Spirit is saying, do not go west. Do not go towards Ephesus, major metropolis. And Paul, no doubt in his heart, would have loved to have gone in that direction. But missionary endeavor must be directed by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's, he's part of the Godhead. And we have opportunity to watch missionary endeavors. Some of them bear fruit. Some of them don't, because there are the whence and the sense. You know, when someone's sent by the church, that's wonderful. When someone went, you don't know what you're going to get. But it's 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 wonderful to look for fruit and see fruit and step back. We can kind of brainstorm and say, well, the Holy Spirit's in it. Look at the way the church has grown. Look what's happened there. You can see how the Holy Spirit is working. Verse 7 says... And after they were come to Mysia, then they essayed to go to Bethynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. So it tells us now they came to the area of Bethinium. This map over here looks so much better than this map over here. What's wrong with the colors over there? But anyhow, I probably have one bad eye. But they come up to your... They want to go to Bithynia. You see it up there is where they wanted to go from Mysia up to Bithynia. They wanted to head in that way. And then look what it says. It says they they desired, they determined, uh, say they were going to go to Bithynia. But it says, but the spirit suffered them not. Very interesting here. Um, it, in Sinaiticus, Vaticanus, and Alexandrinus, very old manuscripts, it says the spirit of Jesus forbid them. It's very specific there. It's interesting. They wanted to go to Bithynia because you had up in that area Byzantium. You know, Byzantium's there, becomes Constantinople, Istanbul today, major thoroughfare, huge population. They decide they were going to go that way, and the spirit of Jesus said, no, don't go there. So they don't want to go south, they've just come from there. They can't go west, they can't go east, so there's kind of a quandary here. You know, you feel like what, the, the, the doors are shut. So they're there in that area of Bithynia, And it says, passing through Mysia, then they came down to Troas. So they come from up in this area, Mysia, Troas is down here. So they came down. Okay, they were up north, Mysia, they come down to Troas. Here they are. And it tells us then, as they come down to Troas, it says, And a vision appeared to Paul... In the night, doesn't say specifically, is it a dream or a vision? Appeared unto Paul at night, and there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, begged him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. So here is where it goes it goes from Troas over here. Macedonia, you see it, southern Yugoslavia today and so forth. They make that journey over there. Here it goes from Troas over to Macedonia. Um, That changed the world more than anything else. That was the gospel going from Asia to Europe. Macedonia is southern Europe. And from there, the Ignatius Way, the Roman Highway, runs all the way past Thessalonica, all over from, uh, to the Aegean Sea. It begins the gospel going into Europe. And because the gospel went into Europe, you and I are sitting here tonight because the gospel then came with the Puritans and and those who came to colonize America. It's spread across our country, it's now spread to Asia and South America, it's making a full circle. It's got back to the Muslim world and we'll see great revivals there and then we get raptured, I think, my opinion, anyway. So anyhow, they come to Troas and as they're there, he sees this vision of a man saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Some try to say, "Well, is that Luke?" Or, "No, that should have been Lydia, a woman from Mesopotamia." This is just a, this is a vision. It doesn't have to be anybody. The idea is what he sees in his heart is this man saying, "Come over, come to Macedonia and help us." How remarkable! How remarkable! Years ago, when we first uh, we first started going to Europe, uh, Coward Chapel, Costa Mesa, Chuck bought a castle in uh, Spital in Austria and uh, it it had been used by Adolf Hitler and Himmler was there and they held Gering there till the Nuremberg trials and it was in Spital uh, and in fact, they held Goering there until the Nuremberg. Charles, very strange to go in and think Hitler and Himmler, these guys, were were in here. On the outside, it was called Schloss Herldeck. And On the outside of the Schloss, this big mansion, was a painting of a blond-haired, blue-eyed husband, a blond-haired, blue-eyed wife, and a bunch of blond-haired, blue-eyed kids because Hitler who had dark eyes and dark dark hair don't ask me thought that the Aryan race was superior you know so you you between between Luther you know and Darwin he he came up with that insane his insane you know m- going forward with the Nazis and so forth but we were in there once it was a west german i was i was in there a number of times over a number of times in fact a, a group from our church went over when they first bought it because it had fallen apart. It was in ruin. Uh, There was a man whose wife loved the French Riviera and saw this mansion on the Riviera and her husband was wealthy. She bothered him until he reproduced it there in Austria. So the Schloss Heraldek is a reproduction of a mansion that's on the French Riviera. Now a Schloss is a castle, and a berg is a castle. Are you interested in this? Okay, A schloss is just a mansion. A berg is a mansion with a moat around it. It's more of a fortress, and they're more fortified to get across. But this is schloss herldeck. I remember we were having this West German's pastor's conference there, and this big guy kind of came in and sat in the back, 6364, looked 70, white hair, you know. Uh, patch over one eye, and he just kind of sat in the back, and just kind of, you know, who's this guy? Kind of watch him, you know. And tears are running out from under, you know. And and afterwards, he started to talk to us. He said, he said, I'm I'm a pastor in this town. He said I was an SS officer with Hitler, and I was in this castle with Himmler and Hitler. And he said I fled at the end of the war for my life, and I ended up in Finland. And he said I got saved there and I came to Christ, and I came back to this area, and i have been a pastor in this town for, I think you said, 20 years or something. He said, I've never had the courage to come back to this building because of the memories I have here. And he said, for some reason today, I thought, I'm going to do it. And he said, I walked in, and here it is, a West German pastor's conference in this building. You know, uh, how remarkable. But I, I remember one of the first times I went there, this old man came from Macedonia. He had heard about it. He was a Greek Orthodox priest. He was like 75 years old, and and really beat. I remember he had one crooked eye, and he looked. The year, you know, the the life is tough over there. And he was little. He was thin, and he put on his civilian clothes, and he had a suitcase. He wrote he rode 38 hours on a bus to get to this place, and he got off the bus in Spital and didn't know where he was going. And the guy who remodeled the castle, his wife, happened to be driving. and saw this old guy, felt bad, and, and said, can I help? He said, well, I've come all this way. I've come from Macedonia. I don't know where I'm going. I'm trying to get to this Schloss Herald She said, get in, you know, and, and drove him up. And I had an opportunity to meet him and talk with him, and he got saved while he was there. And I remember him just weeping. He said, why has it taken 70 years? years for me to hear the truth. And I had the privilege, you know, some hippie from America to serve communion to a 70-year-old Greek Orthodox priest from Macedonia. And I went back two years later, and he was there again, and he had gone back to the place where he was there, monastery or whatever it was, and he started to do a Bible study for Greek Orthodox priests, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and he had this big Bible study going, <laughs> teaching through the Bible. So Macedonia, this was an important decision, okay? Because the gospel is going to spread from there to Europe, and it's going to touch millions and millions, and the reason that most of us are sitting here tonight is because that decision was made so... The Macedonian call, we, 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 this is what, how we, we, we call this, this vision, there stood this man from Macedonia and prayed him, saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately, now this is very important, look what it says, immediately we, we endeavored to go. We, Luke has entered the picture here. This is the first time in the book of Acts Luke is in the scene, and you're going to hear we and us, you're going to hear that now, the personal pronoun, he's part of the group. So there are four of them at this point. There's Paul, there's Silas, there's Timothy, and there's Luke. There's four of them. And Luke, he must have been at Troas. He's a licensed doctor for the Roman world. Uh, Was he practicing there? We're not specifically told Troas was was the largest population in that part of northern Asia Minor there. So Luke says, after Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, so Luke is a believer at this point in time, we're not told how that happened, we endeavored to go to Macedonia... Assuredly, gathering that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel unto them. So, isn't it remarkable? Now, you know, Paul comes there, and Paul has this vision. Is is Luke there on the night he has the vision, or do they, you know, connect? The, does Paul have to tell him? Paul must have told him, of course. You know, this is Timothy, this is what's happened in his life, that's why he's with you. Here we we came, we were in Jerusalem, because Luke wrote all of that. So he he says, then we, we decided to go and knew for sure the Lord had called us to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, now Luke throughout the book of Acts always mentions, and in his gospel, ports, Locations, sailing lanes, you know, because he traveled that world, no doubt. It says, therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Salmon Thrace, or Salmon Thrace should, depending on your translation, and the next day to Neapolis. So he tells us we came with a straight course. I'll help you over here. See that straight line? That's a straight course, in case you're wondering. And right in the middle, Simon Thrace. you see that island? I'm coming. Straight course, and right in the middle there is Salmon Thrace. you see it written there -- is an island. Simon Thrace is about 69 square miles, and there's a canonical mountain right in the center of it, 5,280 foot tall. That's above sea level. everything around it is sea level, obvious. So they could put fires on the side of the mountain, the shipping lanes. Anybody could see it from miles away and realize. And on the north side of the island was a great place where a lot of ships docked because it kept them out of the weather. Uh, the current was good there. So the remarkable thing, it says, he, they make this journey in two days. No doubt the first day is 100 and some miles was to Samothrace where they must have stayed overnight, and then the next day to Neapolis. You'll see Neapolis up on the southern border there of Macedonia. So they make it in two days. And, and it says, we came, he says, with a straight course. Very interesting, because a couple chapters after this they're going to come back from Neapolis to Troas. It's going to take them over five days. So what happened, this nautical word that Luke uses, a straight course, it meant tailwinds. If the winds were were contrary, you had to track back and forth to catch the wind, to get somewhere, and it would take much longer. What he's telling us here is they didn't have to track back and forth. They had a straight course. The Lord gives them the vision. The Lord won't let them go to these other places. The vision comes, I want you to go to Macedonia. They get on the boat, and the Lord goes, and blows the boat straight across, you know, straight course. The whole way, They have the winds are at their back. Re- remarkable. And, and you just, you know, you, th- you look at this, you think they travel through this territory, travel through these Cilician gates. They traveled over these territories where there's thieves and robbers, all this insanity. We don't think about it. They finally get on this ship. They, they have money with it. They buy passage. And then as they get on, all of a sudden there's a there's a straight wind that comes from the back and pushes them first to Salmon Thrace where they stay overnight. And the next day it pushes them then to Neapolis Neapolis is the port there. You'll see it. This is Europe. They pull in the Theop- Neapolis, where the port is right there. And then the next day they go to Philippi, which will be the, where the first church is in Europe. It tells us here that, look at verse 11 again. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothrace. <clears throat> and the next day to Neapolis and from thence to Philippi. So it's it's ten to fifteen miles, depending on how the Rome was at that the, the road was at that point. From Neapolis, probably about nine miles away the, the crow flies, but the, the road had to weave through. So most scholars feel about a fifteen mile walk from Neapolis into Philippi. The next day we came to Philippi, which is the chief city, notice, of that part of Macedonia. The chief city of Macedonia is Thessalonica. That will be ahead of us. But in that part of Macedonia, the chief city, it tells us, is Philippi. And it says it was a colony, and we were in that city abiding certain days. So, uh, jus italicum is what it means. That being a colony, what had happened is 37 BC, around there, Brutus and somebody else tried to betray, betray Caesar, and Octavius, who becomes Augustus. They went to battle. They defeated them. And that became their area. Philippi, named after Philip of Macedon, the whole area, Macedonia, Alexander the Great's dad, Philip of Macedon, that was the area that the Greeks came from. We're going to see them go to Athens and so forth. And Philip was the father of Alexander, and the, this, this city is named after him. But what had happened when the, when the Romans then had this victory there, they made it a place for the retirement of their legionnaires. And they began with two to 5,000 legionnaires who were bad. You don't want to fight legionnaires, and especially one that was old enough to retire, because that guy was a warrior surviving all the things he had been through. So, and then what happens is Rome, Caesar gives it what, what's called the, the title of Juice Italicum. It's a colony of Italy itself. So the very rights in Italy that the Romans had were enjoyed there in Philippi. It was very, very prestigious. And in that, no Roman citizen could be beaten, and it's going to become important, no Roman citizen could be put to death. If you were a Roman citizen, as Silas and Paul were, and probably Luke, you had all kinds of jurisdiction, you had all kinds of rights there. So it becomes very remarkable, and he, he mentions, Luke tells us, this place was a colony of Rome. Very important as they come into this area. So, it says, as they come to this colony, they were in the city there, abiding certain days. We're not told how many days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a river, Gangites there, the river is still the largest river in that area today, We came by the riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and you've got to love the King James. I feel bad for you if you don't have one, because that's the only place you're going to get won'ts. It says, they went out there by the river where prayer was wont to be made, and we, Luke says, sat down and spake unto the women which resorted there. So we're going to find out there's this group of women. It it seems to indicate there's not ten Jewish males in the city uh, because that would form a synagogue. So it seems like there's some believing women here. In chapter 18, you don't have to turn there. Chapter 18... um, Chapter 18, verse 2 says that in the area of Athens, uh, Paul there found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome. So uh, that's on the second missionary journey. So all Jews were driven out of Rome, and then Philippi, Jus Italicus, the, the, as a colony, the same rules that were in Rome would have been there. So maybe the Jews had all left. But we have these, this group of women that are the proselytes of the gate. They're called God-fearers. Interesting, through the Roman Empire, we're told that 80% of the God-fearers of the proselytes were women. Because Rome, the, the Greek and Roman pantheon, so immoral, so unclean, so destructive, so bloodthirsty, that, that so many times moms and wives and women were attracted to a monotheistic religion. One religion where women are respected and they're cared for and their husbands are to stay with them and so forth. They're supposed to raise their kids, teaching them. So these women... In that area are proselytes of the gate, or they are God-fearers. They come to believe in one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it says that we sat down there and we spoke to them. The first sermon in Europe is a conversation. I like that. I enjoy that. And it says that it was with certain women that resorted there. They came to the area of that river... And a certain woman named Lydia, some people try to say that Lydia is the area she's from, but we've found excavations now. The archaeologist Spade has turned up records of women named Lydia in that part of the world. And a certain woman named Lydia, she's a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, Lydia now, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord had opened, and she attended unto the things that were spoken by Paul. So here's this woman, Lydia, and she is from Thyatira, which is over there. See it? Thyatira. She's now in Philippi. I'll help you, too. She's from Thyatira. Now she's over in this area of Philippi. She's a seller of purple, which had been developed in Thyatira, famous through Thyatira. And it became famous in some of the colonies where there was, there was a root that was sometimes used. But the preferred, it was, it was a, a, um, a shellfish named the conchilion. And the particular one's called a murex. And there are people who still do this today and, and they'll, they'll have areas where, they, where they, they're, you know, numerous, and they'll take it out without killing it, and they stroke what they believe is the throat. I don't know who found out where a snail's throat is, but uh, they would do that, and then this, this milky substance comes out of it, and they let that sit then in the sun, and it will turn from white to yellow, then to green, then to blue, and then it starts to turn scarlet and purple, and then they'll take it out of the sun. The enzymes react that way. Once they remove it from the sun, it stays that color, and they'll let it dry, and supposedly that dye never comes off. It never... You dye... And, you know, it's great because it was juice italicum. It It was a Roman colony. They dyed all their robes. They dyed everything with this color. So it was great business... We don't know if she's a widow, but the Roman world had different attitudes toward women, and there was a little more independence. She's a businesswoman. She's there, and she's a seller of purple in this... and she's from the city of Thyatira. She's a good business girl in this Roman colony. But she worshiped God. She had heard of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob whose heart, notice this, the Lord opened and she attended to the things which were spoken. So Luke likes to use this word, the the Lord opened. The Greek phrase is thoroughly opened. Uh, The two guys on the road to Emmaus, they they said, didn't our heart burn within us as the Lord opened? Open to us the scripture, same phrase, thoroughly opened. Then it tells us that a little later in the same chapter that Jesus then opened, thoroughly opened their understanding. And it says there's a divine work here. They saw the man from Troas, the Lord blew them across. And when they get there, they end up with this woman from Thyatira named Lydia. And it says, the Lord opened her heart thoroughly. So there's a divine work here. What a way, you know, how wonderful to be a missionary. And you're all missionaries. You drive out of this parking lot. You've just entered a pagan land. You know, you, uh, you, you leave the parking lot. You are now a missionary And you guys know this. Sometimes the Lord tells you something, "Eh, and that's not you, Lord. Finally, okay. And you go, you witness to somebody, and this remarkable set of circumstances starts to take place. It's the same thing here. The Spirit's directing, directed their journey, directed their vision, directed them to Philippi, and then the, the Lord brings this woman to listen to them. They're dialoguing with her. And in the dialogue, it says her heart is thoroughly opened, the things. She's just resonating. She's believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now she's hearing about this son of Abraham who came, who died on the cross and paid for her sins. And it says she attended. She gave her attention to. She weighed those things uh, which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized, it says, and her household... So some of, them, some of them must have been there. She besought us, Luke says, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Now this is quite a gal. Look, Sabbath. On Sabbath, she's out at the river. Sabbath For the Gentiles, it's a Roman colony, Saturday, was the busiest business day. For this girl who loves the God of Abraham, who's not saved, she shuts down business on her best business day to go and draw close to the Lord that she don't even know. You think of Christians sometimes you know, I got a headache. I can't come to church. Or I don't know. It might rain, and my umbrella's broken. And you think, you know, you look at these guys and the journeys they made and what it cost them. And here's this gal, who whatever that business was, and she seems to be successful. She shuts it down on her bet, best business day to go sit by a river, no synagogue, and, and and make prayers with other women to this God who they really have never yet. Encountered, but they believe in. They're God-fearers. And the God sets up, of course, this circumstance where there are these crossroads. She gets there and hears Timothy and Paul and Silas and Luke. Just imagine. And and as they're talking, her heart's completely open. It was thoroughly open. You know, sometimes, you know, we think, can I do this? And this is how you share the gospel. And you get in a situation and somebody says to you, I want to hear about Jesus. I want to get saved. And you go, you don't know what to say because you're there for an argument, you know. And that's what happened here. These guys, remarkable, get there. And this woman's heart has been thoroughly opened by the Lord. Her house is going to be the first church in Europe. And God chooses this woman here who chose him above her business and all these other things. She closes shop, church over biz. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us. She began... To beg us is the idea. She besought us, saying, if you have judged me faithful. That word's used about being faithful in business, trustworthy and everything. But she's saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord. Now that's Jesus to her now. Come into my house and abide there. And look, Luke says, she constrained us. She's a good good saleswoman. You know, she got a successful business. She constrained us. Look, and I'm sure this is very strange for Silas. Silas is part of the church in Jerusalem. He's an elder. He's not stayed at the house of a Gentile, let alone a woman Gentile. You know, the Lord had to do, you know, with Peter, with the sheet coming down three times to get him to the house of Cornelius. But now they're bearing this letter. From Jerusalem. And Silas, this is probably the first time in his life he's stepping across this line into the home of a Gentile, which his entire life would be considered unclean. He's stepping across this line. She's a woman. Paul's used to it by now. Timothy, Luke, he probably treated many people of, of different backgrounds as a physician. And they come into her house. So she must have a substantial place. Most homes, probably the one Jesus grew up in with Joseph and Mary, were one room. Sometimes it was one room with a courtyard. There were steps on the outside so you could sit on the roof in the evening. But the Lord grew up in a house with four other brothers for sure, we know. So there were five boys, sisters plural. So at least two girls, at least seven kids, and mom and dad, at least nine of them in a one-room house. You can imagine, and the shop alongside or in part of the house. This woman says, come on, there's room for everybody. Come on, come on. And she takes these four guys into her home, and the house church begins here in Europe out of her home. Um, read ahead. If the, if the Lord tarries, I will be here next Wednesday. If he doesn't, you can talk to Lydia yourself. But Paul in this town is going to encounter a woman, a girl, and a man. The girl's demon-possessed. The man is a jailer. We're going to watch this interesting process. And this town of Philippi becomes a church that supports Paul wherever he goes. He'll send Timothy back to this church. He leaves him at this point before the chapter's over to stay there with him for a while. This is a church that Paul loves. You read his letter to the Philippians. They meant so much to him. They constantly supported him. They took care of him. There's just such an incredible bonding that takes place uh, in this town. So there's great lessons for us here. Um, I would look at this chapter and just say, man, I'm I'm a wimp. You know, I look at the things that these guys are enduring uh, to be there. And, uh, you know, we're not sure when, th- th- this is not, um, they're not the only ones, by the way, that are there. Look for this other verse. Uh, Paul will say, as he writes to the Colossians, um, he says, I beseech Eudeus uh, and beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind, this is the Philippians he's writing to, I'm sorry, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help these women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other of my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. So in this town also, there's going to be Syntyche and Eutychus who are at each other's throats. And Paul's saying to the church, help these guys reconcile. Help them make up. They were laborers with me in the gospel when I first got there. So those girls must have known Lydia as well. Maybe they were some of the girls that were at the river with her in the morning. We're not sure. But there's lessons. There's a lesson about journeying, enduring. What What hardship do we endure for Christ? There's lessons about being prompted by the Holy Spirit. He's no different today than he was then. He's immutable. He's unchanging. And, and how wonderful to know he's leading us or prompting us today. And I think that's an important thing. Look, I, I have study Bibles. This one's full of notes and stuff. But I have a Bible that's pure, 100% Bible. It's, it's not a married people's Bible. It's not a single's Bible. It's not a divorce Bible. It's not an alien Bible. It's just a Bible, <laughs> And I read that and just sometimes, and it doesn't happen every day, but maybe every three days, something like that, something rises off the page and I'm in tears. It speaks to me somehow. It just comes to life. And what that does is it teaches me when I have that same sensation, I'm driving in traffic or I'm somewhere else, I know it. I know his voice. I know that happens. And I'm learning, as we all should, what the prompting of the Holy Spirit is like. I learn it primarily through the Word. And I know the Holy Spirit's never, ever going to tell me something different than the Word tells me because He inspired it. But in this chapter also, we we see people prompted by the Spirit and the fruit that comes, even the wind being at their back, opening the hearts of people that they're talking to. We see a woman who doesn't even know, as we do, the the true and living God. She, She knows about the God of Abraham, but she's just not a genuine relationship who's willing to shut down business, make other things secondary to the God that she's learning of, doesn't genuinely know personally, but believes he exists. And whatever she gave up in the market, she gained at the river as Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke were there. And uh, you're going to get to talk to her soon. So you'll ask her any questions you want to. Uh, let's stand. Let's pray. But you guys don't mind me using the map, right? Okay, next week we'll get you a more colorful map. That one looks faded, and this one... It might just be I have a good left eye and a bad right eye. I'm not sure. Uh but uh we' we'll, we'll we'll make that better but you know i'm I'm hoping as we go through for all of us just to to get a sense of what some of this was 2800 miles on foot and by ship we we, we forget what you you know we drive you know you want to go somewhere a couple hundred miles you hop in the car you fill up your tank you put on your favorite song you don't text while you're doing that but you know the the way we are you think the miles and miles that they covered on foot when there were robbers and how many nights they prayed before they fell asleep. You think just the, the condition of things, but here we are because of their endeavors and their sacrifice and their willing to serve, the willingness to serve the true and living God. Here we are tonight. Here we are tonight. And the man from Troas knew about us when he begged them to come over. Father, we look to you tonight. We thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for the, the life that's in it. The sometimes, Lord, we we can forget how human this is, how full of feeling and hardship it is, how filled with joy it is, how, Lord, um, how human these relationships and ex- experiences were, and Lord, how important that is to us. So. Lord, by your Spirit, we pray that you you prompt them, you would prompt us as we make this journey, Lord, through the book of Acts, that you would prompt us, Lord, as we go home this evening to seek you before we close our eyes, that you would prompt us, Lord, in the morning to rise up a little early and to seek you and have your unction before we begin the day. Lord, that you would prompt us to be patient with those that are difficult, to be long-suffering with those who may even be mean to us, Lord, that you would prompt us, Lord, and we would decrease and you would increase, Lord. And we believe we're asking these things according to your will, and it is never going to happen, Lord, unless you do it in us. We don't have anything like that in our toolbox, Lord. We believe Father, that you're willing to lavish heaven on us to glorify the name of your Son. And we pray in his name and for his glory. Amen.